Hello, and welcome to Baker McKenzie's Resilience, Recovery, and Renewal podcast series, dedicated to helping your organization navigate the full continuum of the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Whether you're managing the immediate crisis, stabilizing operations, or evolving your business, this podcast will cover key insights to help strengthen your organization's capacity to respond, recover, and thrive. My name is Jennifer Northam, and I've spent over 20 years as a producer and journalist covering international business issues for leading news organizations. The COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated the need for innovation across all sectors, but particularly the healthcare industry. While the existence of telehealth and other digital health services aren't new, the pandemic has really altered the way healthcare is being delivered and accelerated the adoption of these technologies. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the rise of digital health services and ask the question, has the pandemic permanently altered the way healthcare is delivered? Joining me to answer that question and more is Velika Peoples-Dyer. Velika is chair of the North America Food and Drug Administration Practice Group for Baker McKenzie. Also joining us is Vanina Kaniza. Vanina is global chair of the Healthcare and Life Sciences Group. And just so you're aware, we're recording this podcast from our homes in light of COVID-19 social distancing rules. Valika, Vanina, I think it's safe to say that this pandemic has really transformed the way people around the world really access healthcare. In some cases, a remote consultation is really the patient's only option. Valika, what are you seeing happening in this sector? And, and has the industry been able to adjust to this increase in demand? Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate the question. It's wonderful to be here today. We've definitely seen, and Vanina and I work with the, with the manufacturers, essentially the pharmaceutical companies and the medical device companies and the medical technology companies that are supporting the industry. Um, and so we've definitely seen the the onslaught, if you will, of the usage of telehealth, which which is which I think is a great thing. Um, I see. I think really it has both direct and indirect roles in reducing the spread of COVID nineteen. Basically, we have people that may have never used the technology before um, that are able to schedule appointments with their doctors and, and see their doctors over video, uh, communicate information through the through email through their uh, systems at their hospitals and doctors' offices people who've never done this before because they're concerned about the spread of infection. And so telehealth, I think, has enabled the tracking of of physical distancing, the tracking of symptoms and outbreaks. Uh, And I think this is all great for helping us try to get our hands around the pandemic. Now, in the past, many have been reluctant to use um, telemedicine for various reasons. And for patients, there's been concerns over data privacy, access and quality of care. For healthcare companies, there's security concerns, there's regulatory hurdles and technology barriers, just to name a few. Let's start with the patient. Velika, can you talk us through the concerns that patients might have and how companies are overcoming those barriers? People are, you know, they're having access to their uh, mobile phones. They're getting access through mobile phones, through their computers at home. And I think the industry has answered that call through greater protections around patient health information. Uh, making sure that you know people can feel some level of assurance that their information is being protected and, and is held confidentially, making sure, for example, that when they're having these phone calls, that people are often told to go in a room where you're by yourself 
And if you want to communicate uh, something that's private, that you're alone in, in that room where you're having that video call, uh, for, for example, with your, with your physician. The technology definitely enables those types of concerns, i.e. protection of your, your information, i.e. your privacy, making sure that you can communicate with your doctor uh, or health care provider in an appropriate manner. I think in the U.S., we definitely have many, many, many states and cities where, you know, this is a relatively, quote unquote, easy thing to do in the context of being able to just schedule a, a phone call with your physician or healthcare provider. But Vanina, you were mentioning that the infrastructure may be an issue in some areas. Yes. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Velika. Uh, when, when you talk, Jen, about data privacy, access, quality of care, security concerns, regulatory landscapes, my first thought there is that it changes dramatically from country to country. So there's no single answer or concern that probably can uh, put everything together in a single uh, response. So infrastructure, as Vilika is saying, is not consistent in every country and the resources just sometimes aren't there. So while it may be true that many people have cell phones, it is also true that on the other end, healthcare providers like hospitals, payers, insurance companies, were not ready from a technology perspective to turn on the switch to telemedicine from one day to the next, in many regions at least. It was all, I think, and to some extent it still is, very complex and required lightning speed adjustments. I would argue that regulatory barriers were the biggest challenge, coupled with a deep distrust of the standard of care during virtual appointments and also data privacy concerns. So from one day to the next, the world's population was immersed in the unknown, and you know how people tend to fear the unknown and resist change. So when you think of this, you think of cultural differences and how they have an impact. So for example, in the UK, data privacy was high on the list of patient concerns. If you go to another region and you think, for example, of LATAM, I think that the biggest concern in Latin America is related to the standard of care and lack of comfort or confidence in telehealth itself. Not the data, but the, the, but the standard of care. If I have to tell you what the situation was pre-pandemic with regards to telemedicine, you had some countries like Colombia, the Netherlands, Poland, Russia, South Africa, Spain, Australia, Japan, Singapore, I'm looking at my list here, who used um, telemedicine before the pandemic. There were other countries like Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Peru, Hungary, Switzerland, who did not have these provisions and issued provisions on telemedicine as a result of the pandemic. Of course, many are expected to continue and possibly to increase after the pandemic because while they were thought of as temporary, this is taking long and when it takes long, things tend to stick and you learn from what you've been applying, right? Of course, we cannot underestimate, Jen, you love this, the dystopian aspect of telehealth. In the minds of many, many people, we are being fed of, uh, with these types of, of situations in very recent TV shows like Black Mirror or Years and Years. So this feeds to distrust and fear and all of that. The dystopian aspect of telehealth. That's a great point, Vanina. You, you're mentioning these barriers that countries and patients are facing, and whether that's trust or standard of care, 
But let's talk a bit more about the regulatory hurdles that companies are facing in telehealth. What are governments and regulators doing to help companies overcome these obstacles? Regulators think very differently on how to address these topics and the solutions differ from region to region and from country to country. Uh, Also, most issues are very, very new and everyone is on a learning curve, I would think. So there is a lot of trial and error going on. Some jurisdictions were quick to embrace this dramatic transformation. Others, such as countries in Latin America, took time to approve uh, telemedicine, digital prescriptions, etc. The question is, what will change in terms of future habits and the way of thinking about health-related issues in the future? What are the health-related options that people will consider? And the typical question is, is this here today or here to stay? My guess is that, like with many other things, the answer will be somewhere in the middle. Let's talk a bit about the role of technology companies in telehealth. Vanina, we're seeing many healthcare companies team up with tech companies to support services. What have you seen happening in this space? And what are companies doing to reassure their patients that their data is secure? Well, many companies, many different solutions. Data is indeed the issue, cybersecurity in particular, that we are um, hearing from our clients. The interface between healthcare and tech is a new, as we know, but it is new in volume. So, for example, questions I'm getting as of late are how to help these two sectors work together. How do they know who they are doing business with? Um, Knowing or not knowing, rather, who you're doing business with raises, of course, compliance issues. And sometimes the urgency of deals forces very quick turnaround times for due diligence and risk assessments. Also, we're looking into agreements between traditional industry players and non-traditional industry players. So we face two completely different mindsets and business models, as well as a different approach to contracts and liability provisions. It is in a way a different language and we work very hard with our clients to help them bridge that gap. The key concern is cybersecurity, data, and I think it's the issue that will bring the most headaches or the worst headaches in in the future. Valika, in researching this topic, I saw one doctor quoted in an article as saying, telemedicine is as big a transformation as any before in the history of U.S. healthcare." Do you agree with that statement? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the U.S. really has been on the forefront of the development of telemedicine and artificial intelligence, as well as on the use of those types of different technologies. And so I think, you know, we were in the U.S. already using um, many of these telemedicine, telehealth, you know, uh, including like video calls and video consultations and things of that nature prior to the pandemic. And I anticipate that that'll stay even after the pandemic. And I think what we're getting from this, this, this doctor's quote that you read was that now it is it is multiplied exponentially. And we'll find that we're relying on it much, much more than we thought we were going to. Clinical trials have been completely transformed um, as from prior to the pandemic till now, where uh, maybe when before the pandemic you saw a virtual diary. 
that a study subject would take notes about how they were feeling and how their day was. Now we're seeing everything from not only the virtual diary, we're seeing recording of, uh, of your vital signs, um, recording of all of your information about your behavior, your adaptation to the study drug or the placebo as the case may be communicated um, through through telemedicine. We're seeing nurses being sent out uh, to administer products. So I think that because of the sort of need for the transformation to be able to continue some of these trials, clinical trials that would otherwise have had to be uh, postponed, th th there's a huge transformation now that's much quicker than I believe the transformation would have been had there not been the necessity uh, of the pandemic. Benina, do you agree? Is telehealth that significant a transformation? Jen, yes, the transformation is very deep. And what we discussed with Velika when we were preparing uh, for this initiative is we need to discuss how telemedicine will be applied in the future. We can discuss how it will always be a tool, but it will not replace the medical profession. It will make it better. It will make it easier. It will never replace face-to-face -face consultations. Um, there will be some temptations like cost-cutting, and the flip side of that will be helping people in remote locations. I think that um, society needs to be careful in setting the limits. How can we monitor telemedicine also, from the perspective of physicians, this changes things like um, medical malpractice risks. If you think of how this is going to change the number of patients that a given physician can be uh, can see, sorry, in a given day, are they equipped for that increase in their bandwidth? What does it mean to see? double or triple the patients because you don't have to, you know, travel to your office and because you can zoom in and zoom out from one meeting to the next and because you will be getting paid less. What controls should be in place? So I think that what concerns me is how we will deal with this in the future and, and to make sure that we have the social debate that is essential around these topics. One thing, Vanina, that I think was interesting in what you were saying um, is, you know, the, the debate of the future. We're thinking about the future of, of sort of the practice of medicine piece. And I'm thinking, you know, when you think about a physician may spend, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes in person, right, with someone. But then if they have a video appointment, they're spending maybe that same five or 10 minutes, but or maybe a little bit longer, depending on how they do their video appointments, but are you getting, is the patient getting a deeper consultation because they're not in and out of the office. They're spending that time with the physician as opposed to majority time with the nurse. So I do think there are some quality of care pieces of this that are gonna go both ways. We're gonna see where there's an increased quality of care in some ways, and then there's gonna be where some people may feel like they've had experienced a decreased quality of care. And I think it's going to be important for the healthcare part of the industry to really focus in on assessing when do we determine when someone needs a in-person consultation and when can we actually have this consultation and gather all this other data that telehealth and telemedicine and AI allow us to gather, when are we going to need to do that in person? 
And so I think those are all the types of assessments amongst all the other many things we've got to sort of figure out post-pandemic um, as to how we're going to continue to utilize the benefits of the transformation in a way that is beneficial to overall healthcare. Long before COVID struck, many health services were already struggling to meet the needs of an aging population. Vanina, how do these innovations that we're talking about, such as AI and better use of technology, help reduce the unnecessary use of health services? Well, I think it all tends to help protect the aging population from risks of going into medical centers more often than they should, how people travel in countries and wait for consultations is critical in developing maybe other illnesses that they wouldn't have had hadn't they gone through that experience. So I think that here wearable devices are linked to apps, including lifestyle and dietary apps, as well as artificial intelligence will give doctors a lot of input more quickly and from multiple data points. That will, I think for sure, create better diagnostics, more efficient, more quickly. And I think that as Vidika was exactly saying, the monitoring of the patients will change dramatically and and I think for the better. Governments and policymakers have put a lot of temporary measures in place to incentivize the use of telehealth during this pandemic. Valika, what are your thoughts on these measures? And do you think these measures will stay in place once the pandemic subsides? As far as the U.S., I don't think we've had as many temporary measures in place as in some other countries because we were, again, sort of already using a lot of of telehealth and telemedicine types of products and services prior to the pandemic. Where I've seen the most temporary measures uh, has been in the context of clinical trials and being able to get uh, access to the study drug. Vanina and I and other team members have worked on access from the U.S. to cross the, you know, across the other countries, Canada. Like we've worked on all those issues pretty immediately after the pandemic hit, and I, you know, the regulators, the FDA, jumped in very early in in March to create some guidance to allow us to be able to understand how to deal with those sort of pretty much almost instantaneous changes that were needed to help continue clinical trials. And that particular clinical trial guidance has been updated, um, I want to say about three times now, at least since March, based on questions that have come from the industry to try to help these companies be able to continue their trials, making sure that in the context of allowing some of those temporary measures, that we have not sacrificed any of the scientific integrity and validity of the data. So I think, you know, some of those types of measures may change. Some of those types of measures, I think, though, are going to be implemented as best practices, right? Because again, if we can safely, uh, accurately get study drug to patients, for example, get information from them without compromising the clinical trial, most important, without compromising the the safety of the patient, some of those measures, I think, are going to stay in place. Now, Valika, if we can stay on that a minute, it sounds like the industry has really been able to pivot quite quickly during the pandemic. Do you find that surprising? I mean, considering the depth and the breadth of the industry itself. We work with regulators all the time, and so we actually see, uh, whether it's FDA or EMA or whichever regulatory body it is around the world, we see a lot of what goes on on a a daily basis. And so in, in my opinion, I believe, at least as to the FDA here in the U.S., that the FDA has adapted uh 
was able to adapt very quickly to try to put uh, appropriate policies and procedures and, and, and guidance, if you will, in place to try to address the needs of the pandemic. And I believe that we have been learning on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So it's easy to be critical. Uh, as some folks have gotten critical, you know, now that we're nine or 10 months in, and it's easy to have that hindsight is 2020 viewpoint. When I go back to March, we were trying to figure out, the world was trying to figure out, do we declare what well, the U.S. is this a pandemic? And going through the processes of making that official declaration and allowing for emergency use authorization and allowing for the develop, which allowed for the development of diagnostics, right? And, and PPE and, and, and all those types of things. I feel like the FDA responded rapidly to those changing conditions and continues to respond to try to create an atmosphere where we can have products and services available. Now, obviously, understanding that patient safety is paramount. That's the whole point of the FDA is to protect patient safety and health. We have responded as quickly as we could while still taking into account patient safety as far as the FDA is concerned. Vanina, how do you see national and local health authorities working alongside these industry leaders in the healthcare industry to promote telemedicine? Well, uh, I think everyone is sort of still reacting to everything that's happening. Um, I think that governments know that they need to support the health technology industry in developing and testing novel telehealth solutions that, as Vidika is correctly saying, are safe now that the I hope the worst part of the pandemic is over. We will be able to concentrate on the lessons learned and see where this is going in the future, where it should be going rather. I think that the industry needs to work with professionals and patients to ensure things like digital inclusion, again, data security, solutions that are intuitive, flexible, tailored to users' needs. Because here you have to think that it's not us talking about telehealth, you need to include, you know, children and their mothers and the aging population and population with different degrees of access to technology and different education. So here there is a, a lot of work that will have to be done. And I think, and I think, sorry, that, that this is what we will be hearing more often, this type of debate. Just to jump in really quick, Jen, on that, you know, I think Vanina touched on a couple of times the remote locations, and I think that's going to be a huge has to be a huge focus, you know, hopefully continuing to focus on that now while we're still in the pandemic. We know that access to the internet is not as easy as it may be for some of us. Even in the United States, we have states where there are problems with getting reliable access to the internet. We're seeing this in the context of school children, for example, who aren't able to access virtual learning in a timely and efficient manner. So we know then that, you know, having reliable internet access is the foundation for being able to really effectively utilize and maximize, right, uh, the telehealth services. And so relying on all of our, our infrastructure, our, our technology and internet infrastructure to really be able to make sure we can reach the, the, the patients and the people, not only the elderly, but just everyone in these remote locations so they can then be able to benefit from, you know, not having to make that long drive into their physician's offices. And so I think that should be a huge focus, 
now as well as in the future. If we're not going to be able to take care of those patients, it's going to be lead to the disparity that Vanina was mentioning in the treatment. We certainly don't want that. So I'm hoping that we can continue to partner with conglomerates of internet providers here in the U.S. and, and really making sure that folks have that access because without that access, telehealth and telemedicine really won't work. After talking to both of you, it sounds like there's a lot of challenges, yet so much opportunity when it comes to telemedicine. Some of the innovations we're seeing in the industry have been amazing. We're seeing technology that combines wearables with telemedicine to enable a more data-based approach to home care. We're seeing chip and pill technology to measure medication ingestion. And digital therapeutics are being developed to help treat issues such as substance abuse. I've even read about a video game approach to treating ADHD. I guess my last question for both of you, and it's always my crystal ball question, is where do you see this industry in five to ten years? Will we be accessing healthcare in a completely new way? Valika, let's start with you. Definitely. I mean, and it's very exciting. Like you said, there's so much opportunity uh, here. And then there's also the concerns of, again, making sure that we all have sort of equal access to that. But when I look back, I started in the industry in 2000 with a company that mapped the human genome. And so that was such a huge deal then. And then now we're seeing, in addition to some of the, the things you mentioned above, we're seeing you know, the development of cell and gene therapies. Uh, obviously based on the ability to be able to understand what the human genome is and identifying genes and figuring out how to turn them on and off and things of that nature. So it's amazing, which all goes to the continued advent of personalized medicine. So I think as we go along, that is the goal of the industry. How do we personalize medicine, what Velika needs, not necessarily what someone that has XYZ disease state or condition needs. Velika has that disease state or condition. What does her particular body need? And that to me is fascinating when I think about it for the future, that we're really going to be able to target it based on my particular needs as a patient. Uh, and so I, can, I believe that we're going to continue to see Obviously, the traditional pharmaceutical development, which isn't going anywhere, right? It's just being incentivized and optimized. And I think this is just going to continue to be an amazing industry to be a part of. And if we continue to identify areas of disparity, areas of uh, concern, focusing on obviously safety, patient safety, and then also focusing on the, the integrity of any data that we receive, we can continue to make amazing advances in the industry. Amazing. Benina, what are your thoughts on the future of the industry? I completely agree with Felica's diagnosis in that the future is personalized medicine. And this seems something simple, but it's not. And it will bring about a complete shift to what we are used to seeing uh, these days. I, I cannot imagine what will happen in five or ten years because I think five or ten years is a very long time and things do tend to change a lot more quickly. But I do agree that it will be exciting, interesting, full of opportunities and challenges and we will redefine uh, how we access everything, including health, in a completely different way. Excellent. I can't wait for personalized healthcare coming soon. Thank you both for joining me today. For those listening, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send any comments or questions to 3rpodcast at bakermckenzie.com. That's the number three, the letter R, podcast at bakermckenzie.com. Or contact us through the Baker McKenzie social media accounts. 
Use the hashtag Resilience Recovery Renewal. More information on this topic is also available on our website at bakermckenzie.com. <laughs>